All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are back. Episode five, Daniel and Jake Stock Talk. New time, 1130 a.m. Uh, every Saturday. And if you want to get notified when we go live, click the bell button. And it's great to see you all again. How's it going this morning, Daniel? It's going pretty good. I am still enjoying my morning coffee and uh, excited to talk about what happened in the stock market this week. There's a lot of uh, crazy things that happened. So we had Nike reported their earnings. And I believe the stock was down like over 10%, maybe even more than that. I wasn't paying too much attention to Nike, but I mean, a 12, lot of people. 12%. 12%. Okay. Yeah. So a pretty significant drop for a company worth something like $130 billion, right? It's pretty massive. And then we also had Carnival Cruise report their earnings and they were down what, 20, over 20%? Ooh, uh, they were down at about 23% on the day. And, uh. Yeah, it's really interesting because both companies fell, but they're in very different financial situations. Yeah. We were diving into their financials this morning and uh, no shortage of things to dive into. Yeah. So I guess like earnings season has kind of kicked off, not quite officially. I think JP Morgan reports like in a couple of weeks, but you know, we're getting some companies like Nike and Carnival Cruise reporting earnings and the, the market is not liking the earnings to say the least. <laughs> so that kind of, I think, accelerated a little bit more selling in the market. The S&P 500 hit a brand new 52-week low this week. There was some Fed economic data that came out. Like, there was just a lot of stuff that happened in the past week. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. And um, Jake, do you want to start with Nike? Uh, yeah, I'll start off by sharing my screen. And uh, I love having these conversations too, because especially when you check the news and everyone's kind of yelling that the sky is falling. Uh, we are not going to yell that the sky is falling. We're also not going to yell the opposite, but definitely going to dive into a lot of financial data here. Yeah. So people in my personal discord that I run, um, there was a few people actually buying Nike after the earnings that they reported today or sorry, not today, but last week. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I, I can say I am not a shareholder of Nike. That being said, uh, it's a stock I would consider, uh, but want to be very clear. I do not have a position in this. None of this is uh, financial advice, but let's just start off with the high level things and, uh, the first thing I see, this is Nike's investor relation website, and they advertise themselves as a growth company. So a growth company means obviously they are growing revenues, hopefully growing cash flows, and you'd expect those to be growing at least over 10% double digits a year as a growth company. Uh, however, that's not the case with Nike right now. Uh, their revenue only grew 4% in the last year. So we see they reported 12.7 billion, they're up 4%. And I'll pass off to you, Daniel, for this note, because this is something we talk about a lot, but a common theme I'm seeing is you can't only look at revenue increase, which people call sales, because you need to see how profitable the business and their gross margin, as we see here, has declined a bit and their earnings were down. So my hypothesis is one of the reasons for selling is earnings are down. Profitability is going down. Uh, there's a few other reasons, but I'd like to get your thoughts, Daniel, on just this high level uh, on these high level bullet points. Like, do these get you excited, scared? Uh, not scared. <laughs> no. I, yeah, not scared, but you're right. So, I mean, I think definitely over the past couple of years, a lot of people were focusing on top line growth, which is revenue sales growth. But now the market is more focused on earnings and free cash flow. Like Nike is a clear example here. Like they grew their revenue 4%, which in this, you know, market environment may sound like a really good thing, but then you take a look at earnings and they're down 20%. Margins are down, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers. I haven't gone through the report too much but margins are down and profitability is down. And that's what the market's focusing on now. And uh, as a long-term investor, that's always what I focus on is how much profits the company is making. So if profits are going down, 
then you know price ratios are going to go up that's going to make the stock look more expensive and people are going to sell it off which is basically what i think is happening here yeah there's a there's definitely quite a few things going on so that was the first note that we just went through revenue slightly up but not growing as a growth company earnings down there's there's some interesting uh nitbits in here though so let's check this one out um the inventories uh inventories is just how many shoes and product they're sitting on were 9.7 billion um which they kind of claim you know their consumers are coming back strong but Somewhere in here, and I can't find the quote, they have been actually liquidating a lot of their inventory and selling it. Uh, I don't know if for a loss, but a lot lower. Um, so I think some investors are getting a little bit nervous that, you know, is Nike actually selling enough shoes? And uh, because companies get infinitely dense and complicated as they get bigger, which is what makes investing fun. Sure, their revenue is going up, but let's break that down, right? They sell shoes worldwide. We're talking North America, Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, Greater China. And it, it's a real mixed bag here. I mean, North America has grown. Uh, China has shrunk. Uh, so that's really interesting to see there in the China economy. I know they're still dealing with COVID. So I think another fear here, Daniel, is them sitting on a lot, on a lot of inventory. Yeah, I, I think that was like the biggest thing that I saw in the headlines, at least, was that Nike is sitting on a, like a ton of inventory. And also, we got to think, for U.S. companies, like companies that report in U.S. dollars, they're seeing major currency headwinds right now because if they're gonna if they get revenue from europe for example and you know the euro is going down against the u.s dollar even the canadian dollar right now is going down against the u.s dollar so if they're getting revenue from all of these other exactly right here so if they're getting revenue from all of these other currencies and those currencies are weak to the u.s dollar right now then that's going to put a headwind on their revenue so you know revenue increased four percent but if the u.s dollar was consistent and if all the currencies were consistent then what does that say right there? It would have been up 10%. What quote would have. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I really have mixed feelings about this because it's almost like financial engineering. They're like, well, it would have done this. And you're like, sure, in a mathematical model, it would have, but it it didn't. <laughs> and we're going to get into that too with Carnival on their uh, adjusted EBITDA measurements. It's uh, something that makes value investors like myself and you, I believe as well, just kind of go a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, it's, it's just like when companies say, you know, we did positive adjusted EBITDA, we're profitable. And then you go look at the cash flow statement and you're like, you guys lost up $1.5 billion this year. Yeah. They're not profitable. <laughs> their their costs to produce their product are going up, which is why we're seeing some margins compressed. Yep. They're selling an administrative expense, uh, you know, compensation to employees and all that. The yep. last thing I wanted to bring up, Daniel, which is interesting, is some people view Nike, or not view it, sorry, that Nike to some people is a dividend stock they i'm not sure if they would be a dividend aristocrat but people buy it for their dividend and they did advertise a lot here how they were uh giving shareholder returns so right here we see nike returned 1.5 billion to shareholders the ceo also made it very clear on the conference call that they are very determined to continue to both grow and give value to shareholders at the same time uh, which i think can be things that compete with each other when margins are compressing but the one thing I thought was interesting is that they claimed that in 2018 that they were going to do a $15 billion program, but then it says uh, a total of $9.4 billion uh, was repurchased and then they terminated that. But then now they're bringing back in an $18 billion approved just in June. So as I don't know how to feel about that because they claimed they were going to buy $15 billion. They didn't make it there. That's Well, when did that start? You said 2018. You got to think like, okay. They started that in 2018. What happened in 2020? 
fair, fair, <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Okay. I mean that that may have changed things a little bit. <laughs> you know what? I um I'm being a little bit of a stickler on this one. Uh, and then I guess the last thing I wanted to show here is you know there's a lot of uh, uh this is stock and lock uh, the tool uh, we're building obviously uh, for any of you who aren't aware. Uh, what we're looking at right now is Nike's dividends page. So right here, I mean, this is beautiful, beautiful dividend growth. I mean, yep. you were talking a consistent, consistent, consistent raise. And uh, historical yield on cost is great, where you might look at it today and say, uh, you know, it's only giving me a 1.47% yield. Like, I could get more in a savings bank today. And you're like, well, you know, if you bought it back in 2011 and held on or held it back here, relative to the cost you paid for that share, which was less back in time, the current dividend payment they're giving today, that yield on cost is a lot higher. So for those with a long-term mindset here, that's, you know, an interesting thing to uh, keep track of because it's always around one and 2%, but your yield on cost goes up since the shares have appreciated in value over time. Yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, if you bought Nike, I'm going to throw random numbers out here. If you bought Nike at $10 a share, and at the time they were paying, you know, a 1% dividend, and then you hold the stock for 20 years, and now they're paying a $3 per share dividend, and you bought the stock at $10, then now your yield on cost is 30%. So that's why people love dividend growth investing so much is because, yeah, the dividend yield right now on the shares is 1.5%, but if Nike continues increasing that dividend over the next 30 years, then your dividend yield on cost is going to go up quite significantly over the next you know, 20, 30 years, if the business can continue growing. Yeah, there's a, this is what makes investing fun because... You know, there's just so many different angles to look at this at. And just as a summary of some of the things we talked about, their investor relations site claims that they are a growth company. Uh, their financials say otherwise. Uh, they are not really behaving like a growth company right now. Their profitability metrics are okay, but their margins right now are compressing. This is actually a bit lower. We have to wait for the financials to update and stock unlock. But as these compress, it comes to really interesting things. So Daniel, check this out. Their dividend, like overall, is fine. But if you're looking out into the future, I am a little unsure if they're going to be able to continue to increase the dividend at that rate. They're also going to have to get re back on the growth train because you can't continue to increase the dividend payment if you're not increasing your cash flows. Or you can, but then you get into weird situations where oil companies were taking out loans to pay dividends. You know, it, it gets kind of messy. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, what is the free cash flow payout ratio now? It's 42%. So, I mean, they still have a lot of room to increase the dividend. I mean, Nike doesn't pay out a massive dividend. So there is a lot of room to increase it. But the, the reason the free cash flow payout ratio is increasing so much is because if you go to the financials tab and you go to their cash flow, I believe their trailing 12 months cash flow is decreasing. Uh, free cash flow you're talking about? Yeah, do uh, trailing 12 months. <clears throat> yeah, so in the past three quarters, it's actually been going down. Yeah, looks like negative so, 17%. Yeah, so their free cash flow is going down at the same time as they're increasing the dividend, which means that their their payout ratio is going to go up quite significantly. Also, can you zoom out to like 2002 on that graph? Anything for you, Daniel. Thank you. <laughs> you can see that Nike's, like I did a really quick look at their financials. And you can see that Nike's free cash flow like kind of just bounces around quite a bit. Like that's not like it's growing. It's that overall trend is going up. Like the highs are higher, the lows are higher. But um, you can see that you know their free cash flow is kind of cyclical. Like every every five or so years, it looks like it spikes and then falls. And right now, it looks like we're in a fall. Um, but what's interesting about this is if you go and take a look at their revenue now, it's a very different story. The revenue. 
um, over the past like 20 years. I mean, you can see it's consistently grown, except for in 2008, went through a little bit of a dip. And then in 2020, went through a little bit of a dip. But basically, their revenue has been consistently growing, but cash flows are kind of all over the place. So this company's margins, that tells me, it goes through periods where it has like really high margins. It's really profitable. Um, and then it goes through periods where it looks like maybe costs increase or something like this. Yeah, right there. Their mm -hmm. gross margin kind of goes all over the place. So Nike in general, revenue grows. It's a, it's a very consistent revenue growth story. But um, in terms of like cash flows, it looks like the cash flows are quite cyclical. But it's an interesting it's an interesting company. Really. Like, I know a lot of people started buying it on this dip. I think it's selling for like 20 times cash flows now. Um, it's a really strong brand. Warren Buffett says that one of the best things to own during high inflation is a strong brand because they can continue increasing prices and their customers will come back and continue buying the product. So basically they can offset inflation. So it's interesting. I think it's uh, it's maybe not quite the growth story that they're selling, <laughs> you know, 4% revenue growth and then putting on their investor relations page, like we are a growth company and then you see 4% revenue growth. It's like, okay, well that's like Coca-Cola, you know, not nothing amazing. <laughs> so it's just interesting. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Coca-Cola because I was thinking about this this morning, my morning shower of all places, you know, where we do all of our thinking. I was like, is this like a Warren Buffett Coca-Cola moment? You know, obviously Nike has a strong brand. Uh, not that we're going to turn this into a Web3 conversation, but there are a lot of headwinds there. It is serious, right? With them being able to utilize NFTs as a utility uh, on their shoes to get more, you know, revenue share when people are reselling and stuff. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'd love to hear in the comments if anyone's anyone else's thoughts there. Uh, we do see some uh, stock tickers being requested. Uh, we have time at the end, which we normally do. We'll definitely take stock tickers and do some classic stock talk. So that, that, thank you for the uh, the chats. Yeah, I'm just really go quickly going to talk about uh, CCL Carnival Corporation. This is a massive cruise wine company. Like they do global cruises. Um, they're down 23% on Friday after they reported earnings. This stock is down quite significantly. So in 2018, this was a $72 stock. Um, and then in 2020, before COVID hit, it was a, it was down 30%. Then it just absolutely, absolutely tanked. Sorry. And, um, excuse you. Sorry. And then, uh, it was $8 and 40, $8 and 50 cents. So basically it dropped 90% from 2018 ish to the pit of COVID. And now it's actually below where it was during the, the stock market crash of 2020. So the stock has not been performing good at all, but it's like, this was this was like, what was the market cap? I got to go take a look at the free farm fuel here really quick because this company was worth tens of billions of dollars and it was a brand that was known around the world. So I see people asking me all the time, like, yeah, it was a $50 billion company in 2018 and now it's worth like $8 billion. So it's been destroyed. Um, uh, but people ask me all the time about this company because it's like such a, it's such a known company around the world. So they reported their earnings. The earnings were nothing amazing. Stock dropped, you know, 23%. Let's just go and take a look at their insights really quick because the reason I don't own this stock and I would never really take a look at the stock, at least right now, is because their profits are gone. <laughs> Gross margin is 9%, okay? Operating margin, negative 100%. Net margin, negative 157%. Like free cash flow margin, negative 122%. Unprofitable. Free cash flow negative in the past year, they have had a cash outflow of $7 billion. And their operations in the past year have lost $2.5 That is insane. That is really, 
really not good. <laughs> okay. I, I, I have a request for you since you're in the driver's seat on the screen share. Do you mind yeah. going for the general tab? And uh, we just added the financials preview feature, which is great. And for Carnival, you really just see them get decimated when you click between the year option and the quarterly. Because yep. quarterly, it looks like they're growing, but they're growing back from zero. And you can just see how much COVID completely decimated this business. Yeah. So in like 2019, you know, $21 billion of revenue. And then in 2020, about $5.6 billion. 2021, about $2 billion. So their revenue literally dropped 90% in two years. That is massive. So yeah, it like if you do take a look at the quarterly revenue, you can see it was essentially zero for a year. And now it is starting to come back, but they got a long, long way to go, man. Like, if we got hit more than the uh, airline companies, I know it might be hard to compare, but like these cruise companies, if I had to pick the industry that got hurt the most from COVID, it might be them. I mean, they're still dealing with that too. Like uh, in their, we should bring it up in their earnings call, they talked about COVID restrictions. Uh, you know, can they let unvaccinated passengers on yet and all that? They're they're still very much in that world. Um, and one little nugget here, Daniel, I actually have a different opinion than you, uh, where you are right, the profitability sucks, but there's another bigger reason, in my opinion, why I would personally never own this company. Are you going to leave me hanging? What is it? It <laughs> <laughs> was like, hey, Jake, what is it? Um, <laughs> this is a debt monster. Debt monster. The amount of debt that this company has taken out. Well, we're not even going to talk about the $1.5 billion in share dilution they did to their current shareholders, but... I was. Oh, you were. So I'll, <laughs> I'll stop there. But I think, Daniel, something great to dive into and I might be able to find in the report too is they actually list the billions, billions of dollars of principal dividend payments they will be paying when their debts fully mature. And there are 5.75%, I think, in 2024. This is scary. Like this company is in a race to get profitable again so they can start paying off their debts. And if not, like, I mean, they have a moat, no pun intended, with their business, of course, because who's going to go out and build more cruise ships? Not a lot of people, but it's kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, in 2020, for example, okay, so this company's revenue went to zero. Their business essentially went to zero and their costs didn't go away. So cash flow was shut off, um, cash flow went negative. So what the company had to do, like, take a look at this. Their shares outstanding was 685 million in uh, February of 2020. And then within the next year, their shares outstanding nearly doubled to 1.1 billion shares outstanding. No. That is that is a massive amount of dilution. So uh. what this does, oh, actually here, let's do this. Let's do the stock price. Because what this does is, you know, people may be taking a look and they're like, okay, well, you know, the stock is down massively. It's down like 90% from its all-time highs, um, you know, so maybe it's a good buy. But if you take a look at the market cap with the stock, um, let's take a look here. Like the market cap back here when CCL was worth $8 in the stock market crash in 2020, um, it was a, the market cap was $6 billion. And then they diluted so much, right? Now the stock price is back to $7, but the market cap is now $11 billion. So the market cap is like double what it was the last time the stock was this low. So like if you're taking a look at the stock price, yeah, it's hitting new lows, but the market cap is still a lot higher than it was in 2020. So the company is actually still more expensive just from all the dilution they did. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely unfortunate to where you think of how can a company get money when they're in stress, right? They either like raise debts or they could sell shares, maybe a few other ways. They're doing both. Like I was on our financials tab and looking at the jumps in their debt. 
as well as here's a scary one. If you look at their tangible book value the last few quarters, it is falling off of a cliff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, take a look at this. Their long-term debt at the beginning of COVID was about $10 billion. It's now $30 billion. <laughs> you have to pay interest rates on that. I mean, like, people are aware of this, too. But, like, put yourself in the shoes of the CEO, right? Like, how are you going to generate cash flows and profitability when just the interest payment on this debt is massive? Like, yeah. how are you going to pay this off? I, I don't understand. Yeah, dude, this is... It, this is they're going to be a space exploration company turn into a growth company. They're going to team up with Virgin Galactic and uh, start sending people on cruise ships to the moon. How about that? Yep. I mean, Hail <laughs> Mary time. Let's go. <laughs> well, but honestly, like this, who knows? This company may be the steal of the century right now, but I think the balance sheet looks awful. They've got like no profitability anymore. They're losing billions of dollars. And I think they got a lot of stuff to work through before I would even consider them looking attractive at all. So I would not touch that stock. <laughs> yeah, uh, not financial advice, of course. Uh, if I were to be asked, and I'll ask myself, hey, Jake, would you buy the stock? My answer in a joking way would be, you couldn't pay me to own this stock right now. Uh, however, if the market cap of this company like went under a billion dollars and it looked like it was being bankrupt, it could be fun. Again, not financial advice to do like a, you know, a quick play where if they do get bought out for their assets and stuff, like their market cap could feasibly be low enough, you know, hundreds of millions where I'm like, you know what, someone's probably going to buy their debt and stuff for more than that. Like maybe this could be like a quick swing trade. Uh, not something I would probably ever do, honestly, not my investment style, but some people do like to be a little bit more risky. So I could see someone bringing that argument here, but yeah, it's not, not looking good. It's not really a carnival. It's like, it's, it's hell. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite <laughs> ironic name there. Hey, yeah. all right. So that's that's Carnival. That's pretty much why the stock dropped so much this week. Then the overall S&P 500 was dropping, hit brand new 52-week lows. And this is kind of interesting. So I need to get my... Sorry, I know I'm weird with my hands. Oh, no, I, that was like me just being myself. I'm like... Okay. Yeah, <laughs> like when stocks go down, I get excited. Oh, yeah, same here. Okay, so basically, I don't understand all of the data that the Fed puts out. I'm not even going to lie. Like, it's just what it is. I have a hard time understanding all this economic data. But basically, the initial jobless claims this past month were like 193,000, which was a decrease of 16,000 from previous weeks. Okay, so this last week's initial jobless claims were 193,000. So initial jobless claims are going down, which means that less people are basically, you know, wanting... I, this is what I mean. I don't fully understand this economic data. Do you Do you know what initial jobless claims actually are? Uh, the, the two cents I could add here is this is... Reminding me of our conversation in the past week where we broke down how GDP is calculated and proved to everyone that no one actually understands. But for the jobless claims, I never look at it because there, there's a lot of engineering that goes on there. Uh, so one example, I'll have to fact check this, but the people that you count as being un unemployed is a very weird how you count it. Like technically, if someone isn't looking for a job, but they're unemployed, they're not counted. So, you know, I, this just brings more question than answers for me, right? It's like, how okay. are you quantifying a jobless person? Is it the level of people that are like basically looking for jobs? Like, okay, I lost my job, like, you know, an initial jobless claim. Okay. So that number is down week over week, which means that, you know. Everyone's fired already. <laughs> you can only fire so many people until no one has jobs. You can't fire people that don't exist. It's not that bad. Uh, that was a joke, obviously. I know, but I'm going to share my screen here really quick because if we take a look at the unemployment rate over the past 10 years, we're starting to tick back up again. A little bit and what's funny not really funny it's actually kind of sad but 
the Fed's goal right now, one of their main goals is to cool down the labor market, which means that they actually want unemployment to increase. Also, they want to cool down the labor market. So if initial jobless claims are going down, technically, you know, that, that may signal that the economy is actually strong because, you know, jobless claims are going down. But the Fed has said that one, they have two goals to lower inflation and to cool down the, the labor market. And it doesn't look like the labor market is really cooling down that much. So in reality, like jobless claims going down should be a good thing for the economy. But the stock market sold off on that news because it means that the Fed is not achieving one of their main goals, um, which means that they're probably going to continue increasing interest rates. Yeah. So, so people sold off. It's so funny right now because people sell off stocks and the S&P 500 drops when we get good economic news because it means the Fed's going to raise rates. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it's so complicated. Um, another reason why I was dropping is because like Apple, I think is like seven or 8% of the S and P and like Apple very uncharacteristically has been a safe haven stock for a lot of people. So not that I tune into CNBC often, but a lot of wall street folks are kind of saying, Hey, you know, it looks like they had to reduce the number of iPhones they were making. And it's like when Apple moves, like Apple could really move the market. So like a lot of the index moves, it was a bunch of compounding stuff. Apple usually is like pulling everything up. It was not, uh, Nike and Carnival are starting to look, you know, make things seem a little sketchy. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of things layered on top of each other. And as you said, people are speculating that the Fed will endlessly increase rates until jobless claims go up and inflation goes down. Uh, the sad oversimplification of this is as you increase the rate to borrow money, it's more expensive for businesses to operate. A lot of the growth companies need to start firing people to increase profitability because you can't just make money out of nowhere. You have to have a profitable business. and that slowly cascades into people having less money, price pressure goes down, you know, that that's their hope. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think there's one person on the spider that really understands everything that's going on. And they have these buttons they could push, but it's a finite set. And, you know, I think they're crossing their fingers a bit too. Um, going to be interesting to see what happens in the next six months to a year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Apple's price to free cash flow is getting down to about 20. Um, I mean, relative to their 10 year average, what's their 10 year average? 16. <clears throat> so relative to their 10-year average, the stock could be looking expensive. I mean, again, 10-year average is 16 price to free cash flow. It's at about 20, 21 right now. So yeah, who knows? It'll be interesting to see if Apple is able to become a leader in like VR, AR stuff. I know that Facebook's being louder with that, but they're definitely one of the tech giants that has a real potential with their loyal consumer base to, you know, just like pull another like AirPods out of their ear, right? And just be like, oh, here's another product everyone's going to want to buy. So People do. Yeah. Well, I don't, so I'm not a good person to talk about it, but I respect and understand that a lot of people feel different. Yeah. Okay. This chart right here is the consumer sentiment because we got a consumer sentiment report as well. And check this out. Okay. So consumer sentiment has been being tracked since uh, like 1950. And in the past few months, consumer sentiment hit an all time low. And basically what this means, consumer sentiment is like how optimistic consumers are on the economy and the stock market. So over the past couple of months, people were basically the most bearish on the economy that they have been over the past 70 years. Like that's how bad sentiment has gotten. It's worse than 2008. It's worth, sorry, it's worse than in 1980 when inflation was like double digits. It's crazy how just like bad sentiment was. Can now, you, can you define consumer sentiment for myself and people in the audience? Like what is it and how do you calculate it? I can tell you. There's a lot of things that go into this calculation. It's done by the University of Michigan, and they've been doing this calculation. 
Um, I also think they it's based on they do what are those things called like surveys? They like survey people, ask you know a bunch of different questions, and um, basically calculate this number. But basically, when consumer sentiment is low, people are less willing to spend money. When consumer sentiment is high, people are more willing to spend money because they're optimistic on the economy. Um, but right now, consumer sentiment is starting to bounce back a little bit. So it looks like overall sentiment in the economy is starting to rebound, which actually could mean that people are... Um, my doorbell just rang. It, it, sorry. It could mean that people are you know, more willing to spend money on like Nikes. So maybe Nike is seeing an increase in demand again right now. We'll have to see in the fourth quarter, but... Yeah, I mean, consumer sentiment looks like it's coming back. That was kind of another bullish thing for the economy that happened this week. Yeah, do you need to get that doorbell? Or I mean, <laughs> this is what happens when you do a live stream. We'll see if it rings again. <laughs> no, it's fine. If they, if, if they ring again, it's probably just like an Amazon package or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, is that friend you invited over that you forgot you invited over that's just out there in the cold? and Probably watching the live stream right now, like, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... Anyways, we're bringing us back on track here. We've been having a lot of great comments for everyone watching live. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Again, we go live uh, every week on Saturday. And if you're not here for the live, we post the recording after. Um, in every show so far, we've done some stock talk where, you know, people in the audience, the chat, just say stocks. And it's impossible for us to get all to all them. But uh, we we really love doing the live analysis with you, you all. So, um, Daniel, I'm not sure if you want to charity pick. We've got a few in here, but might have some time for stock talk. Well, my All right, let's, let's do it. Okay, can you Doc, take a look Doc, at Doc, Doc. the AM? Okay, we got to talk about this one right here. Would love to get an AMC fundamental value from you guys. Let's go. <laughs> uh, are we going to talk about the ape coins that they're financially engineering and selling? Oh. Just because that's probably a whole episode on its own. Um, we should put a disclaimer here. Daniel and I historically are not very bullish on AMC, but we will do our best to start with an unopinionated analysis here. Okay, so right away, Insight score of 2.5 out of 5. Gotta love it. <laughs> Let's go and take a look quick. Um, profitability. Okay, good gross margin, honestly. 70% gross margin, not bad. Operating margin negative, though. Net margin negative, free cash flow negative. Um, they've lost about $600 million in the past year. Financial health. The company has 20 months of runway at their current burn rate, so they got cash. Current ratio is less than one, though. Shares have increased by 7% over the past year, so they have diluted their shareholders. Debt to EBITDA ratio is not good. Book value is negative. Um, so financial health is not good. Profit. Yeah, I think this is another industry that got hit super hard from COVID. Yeah, okay. And it looks like they're probably bouncing back now then because they are a retail company. Retail was shut down. Now it's back. Um, so, you know, you're getting ridiculous growth numbers here. Like revenue grew 344% over the past year. That's good. Okay, that's really good, but it's all relative. So let's go and take a look at the financials really quick. Yeah, because with Carnival, they bottomed at zero. So it's like, hey, look, revenue went up 30%, but you're like, yeah, but in 2019, it was like 10 times higher. So Yeah, exactly. So if you take a look, our insights compare year over year. So year over year, the numbers look really good, but relative to 2019, revenue is still way down. Um, what are gross profits doing? Still way down. What is cash flow doing? Cash flow is negative. Operating cash flow is negative. What about the recent quarter? Yeah negative operating cash flow so this company's operations are losing millions of dollars um if we take a look at net common stock issued <clears throat> they raised 1.2 billion 581 million probably over two billion dollars of dilution and free cash flow is still very negative so yeah this company is losing a lot of money and yeah load right now let's take a look so their cash position 
So this is what happens when companies lose money, okay? We saw that they did like $2 billion of dilution. So their, their cash position spikes from all the dilution they do, right? And then the company continues losing money. So they raise the money from dilution or debt. And you can see the cash position just continually drops. This is a trend that me as an investor, when I see this, I don't like this because basically what it means is the company has to become profitable before they run out of cash or they're going to dilute you again, which destroys shareholder value. So yeah. it's it's a very risky position to be in. But let's take a look at their long-term debt, as you said, Jake. So yeah, their long-term debt has actually been stable-ish since like 2017. It hasn't increased like that much relative. So where this company is getting their money from is dilution. And honestly, that's a very fair play on AMC because this stock went to the freaking moon. And when the stock went to the moon right here, I mean, take a look. This stock went to the moon in the second quarter of 2021. And this is when the stock was diluting. Like if I were the CFO of AMC, I would have diluted as many shares as I possibly could right here. Like straight up, it was a good move. Everyone was excited about their stock. They were getting, you know, they were up like 3000% in the matter of a year. Yeah, I'm going to dilute some shares. So fair play on the company. But um, yeah, you know, as a shareholder, that's, <laughs> I would never own this stock. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, have a, we have a question in the chat. I also love that your name has the word gorilla in it. This is very on theme. Uh, could pay, <laughs> pay for a lot of the debt? Um, I mean, technically, yes, right? Like at the end of the day, they're selling things on retail and institutional investors on the open market, and they could use those funds however they want. Daniel, I'd love to see they're selling it administrative expense to see if they're paying themselves more through this because one thing i would look at is who's running this company and do you trust them like when they're raising these funds are they paying themselves bonuses and obviously they're very unprofitable too so just taking the other side of this daniel not that i actually feel this if there is any bull case or ape case to be had here it's that this company is doing some things that we really haven't seen before with these new unique types of share offerings there's a lot of people that are passionate about this business and this could be a very big turnaround play since there's not a lot of companies getting into the physical theater space. Um, however, I'd look sorry, at you. I'm there, sorry, Jake, what, what, what was the question? Oh, we're, uh, we were just summarizing. Uh, he was asking about the ape coin because they're selling ape coin. They're not coins, uh, like ape shares as like a weird type of dilution to raise funds for their company. Have you heard about this? Dude. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should be trying to get mine from this one. Yeah, I'm just going to shake my head, okay? Like, that's not, just think about if you're a shareholder in this business, okay? What is the company going to look like in five years? Are they going to be able to sell Ape coins in five years to generate a profit to pay back their $5 billion of debt while they're losing money? Like, if they can, what are the chances of that? Like, I just think there's so much risk. I don't like it, okay? Like, I, I just do not like AMC at all. I, I'm not a fan either. And for our users, I would do research on the CEO and the language that they're having with retail investors and decide, like, do you trust these people or not? I'm gonna yeah. not going to decide that for you, but definitely worth looking into. Yeah. All right. I, yeah, I would. I'm very skeptical. New, new, new stock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Apple will fail with VR. No, no game reuse, Max. Apple, Tesla lead the market. They were leading us down bad or leading us down, boy. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen people talk about like the stock market isn't going to officially bottom until we see Apple and Tesla sell off. Apple is like the safe haven in the market. Everyone flocks to Apple stock. I mean... Yeah, even Berkshire was just buying a ton of Apple. And then there's also Tesla. In my opinion, Tesla is like the lead speculative stock in the market at this valuation. So like until Tesla's stock comes down, it's like, okay, we still have some spec sorry, some speculation out there. So I think that's why people are taking a look at Apple as like the safest stock and Tesla is like the leader of speculation. 
So yeah, I mean, did you see Tesla's uh, robot announcement? Because I might take the other side of this, where Tesla is just too unique to analyze for me. I I used to think it's overpriced. I think it is very pricey based on its financials, but looking at who's running the company and what they're doing, it, it just really makes it unclear uh, what the price should be. Because what other companies are doing, what Tesla's doing with robots, EV. There's only one Elon Musk in the world. Like I know, but it here's the thing for me is like everyone says Tesla is more than a car company. Fair. Okay. But it's also priced as way more than a car company right now already. And right now, their business, their revenue, and their cash flow comes from cars. So in my opinion, even if Tesla becomes like this massive AI company and you know all these other business segments that they have, it's like I think the stock is already priced in for that. So fair, fair. I think I just think like it's so expensive and it's really risky because the price is so high. And in my opinion, in my own personal portfolio, because people have asked me about Tesla a lot, it's just an unnecessary risk at this price that I think I don't need to take on to become a successful long-term investor. It's just too risky for me. Yeah. One of my favorite investing principles is there's just so many stocks on the market. Uh, people yeah. get kind of pigeonholed themselves into, oh, should I invest in this or not? And like, unless if you feel really great about it, go look at the tens of thousands of other stocks out there. Like you can find ones that you feel great about. So it like for me with Tesla, I'm like, is it good or bad? I don't know. But I feel a lot more co uh, comfortable evaluating other companies that I can understand better personally. Yeah. Um, this person, Dan C has asked, do you think Google will go to $75? I don't know. But I hope it does. <laughs> yeah, no, no one knows. I mean, stocks can take really crazy dives in any market downturn, so it's obviously possible. What I can say is I did start a position in Google in the last week, and I've been nibbling, as you like to say, Daniel, little fish. Nibble, nibble, nibble. In the huge pairs, nothing crazy, not loading the boat. But if Google goes down to 75, it's going to look pretty tasty. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Not but yeah, so basically, I think no one knows really where stock prices are going to go. In the future like i i have no idea but here's the thing is as google's market cap falls i mean it topped out at like a two trillion dollar company <clears throat> now that the market cap has fallen what's happening as the price goes down is this company's free cash flow yield on cost goes up so you can very clearly see like as market cap goes down the amount of cash this business can return to new investors who are buying the stock goes up quite significantly and now google's free cash flow yield is at 5.1 percent so yeah, that's really good. So if Google were to drop, you know, to $75 a share, the free cash flow yield would probably go up somewhere to like 7%. And if we just zoom out really quick to 2013-ish, the last time Google's free cash flow yield was this high was about 2013. So in the past nine years, Google has not been able to return this much cash to their shareholders based on the price um, for like nine years. So when I look at this stock, I think it looks very attractive here. And if it continues going down, all that's going to happen is this free cash flow yield is going to continue going up and it's just going to make it look more and more attractive to me. So as someone who just like dollar cost averages, I mean, I would love some higher yields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did on that. Um, I mean, Google's a strong company and not to put words in your mouth, but one assumption uh, based off what you're saying is an investor who likes Google here and who is a bull on Google also must be thinking that their cash flows will either at least stay the same or rather grow as opposed to compress if you think that Google's business is at risk or something like that. I yeah. I personally don't think it's at risk. I also trust a lot of the people running that company. I have friends working there. They're all really smart. So I think that yeah. they're in pretty good standing. I mean, I wouldn't 
be surprised to see Google's revenue and cash flows drop over like the next, I don't know. This is me just speculating, by the way. I have no idea what's going to happen. But I would not be surprised to see their revenues and cash flows drop by, you know, 5 to 10% over the next few years because we just had so many companies like Skills, for example. Skills was spending so much money on marketing while losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And that is a recipe that cannot continue forever. And some of their marketing dollars had to flow through Google, okay? So you had a bunch of these unprofitable companies spending ridiculous amounts of money on marketing to try and grow their business. That money went to Google. That cannot last forever. So I think a lot of these companies that are losing money are going to disappear or their, their marketing spend is going to significantly decrease. And that's probably going to harm Google's business because they get a lot of that advertising revenue. But like, if that happens, okay, they take a small short-term hit. In the next 20 years, though, I think Google's going to be a much bigger business than it is today. So that's just kind of my opinion. Like if, if, if revenues and cash flows fall, cool. I'll just dollar cost average through it because over the long term, I think they're going up. Yeah, I, I agree on the long term. I'd say let, let's watch how this plays out. Um, as a big Google customer myself, I think I agree with you. Their advertising revenues and, and cash flows, that segment may go down. What I think a lot of people aren't paying enough attention to is how good Google is at hooking people in and then monetizing products later on. So you're talking about Gmail, Google Drive, Google Photos. I actually, as a consumer, just got roped into paying $20 a year or something because I hit my 15 gigabyte limit on Google Photos. And I don't think it's too hard for this company to slowly turn on the dial where they start taking in more money from these things. And they're not going to be afraid to cut a lot of their departments that don't make money. So with the swing of a hand from their CEO, I think they could very easily cut cash flows, raise the amount they're making. But I do agree revenues might get compressed from ads, which is their main source of revenue right now. So yeah. Also, you got to think like Google Cloud is still unprofitable. Like they're still running Google Cloud at a loss. And if you take a look at Microsoft Azure and you take a look at um, Amazon Web Services, these are incredibly, incredibly profitable businesses and they're growing quickly. So what Google is doing right now is they're running Google Cloud at a loss to grow it as quick as they possibly can. I Well, yeah, yeah they could be growing it quicker. But in the future, the massive spend on growing Google Cloud is going to stop and that's going to eventually trickle down into the bottom line. And right now, Google Cloud is a hindrance on the bottom line. And in the future, I think it's going to add massively to it. So it's like, I think there's just so many long-term tailwinds for that business. I'm just, I'm just so bullish on Google, man. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, stock, stock unlock runs on AWS and in theory, you know, we could go multi-cloud, uh, but I agree with you. These businesses are huge. Even they're number three right now, I believe I have to double check that, but it's AWS, Microsoft, and Google, and even being number three in the space, like I think that the total market cap for cloud uh, services overall in the economy is just going to continue to steadily go up. Um, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Yep. Okay. Um, let's move on to another stock. This we got a lot, a lot of good ones in here. Some repeats. I, I see the same tickers come up every week. Ones like IPR, Micron, I speak come up a lot. INMD as well, because INMD in our insights looks amazing. And I mean, we've talked about the stock on live stream before, and like fundamentally, the metrics of that business are insane. The only thing that We've talked about this before. It's like their moat. They've said themselves they don't know if they have a moat, which adds a risk. Um, so that's just definitely something to take a look at. But Marin, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing um, your name wrong. I apologize if that's the case. Asks us to take a look at Perry or Perry. <laughs> I'm going to take a look. Interesting. That reminds me of uh, I had Perry Perry chicken. Uh, I'm assuming this is different. <laughs> 
but that was, good, <laughs> that was a pretty good meal I had the other day. <laughs> so thank you for reminding me of that. I'm going to say uh, Marin, uh, but please correct us. Okay, so this is a smaller cap company, $864 million. It was a $3 stock in 2019. It is up a lot, up 600% over the past three years. It looks like it's kind of been topping out for about the past year, though. Um, price to free cash flow of nine. What is this company in? They're in the media industry. Okay, so I like to scroll down on our stock details tab right here and just try to learn more about the business initially. So this is a global technology company. I'll zoom in for you guys. This is a global technology company which engages in the provision of advertising solutions to brands, agencies, and publishers. Okay, so global technology company in the advertising space. So this is actually probably a good... Um, stock to look at after Google because we just talked about how Google is probably going to see a decline in ad revenue from a lot of unprofitable unprofitable businesses not being able to spend as much on advertising as they did over the past couple of years. If this company is in the advertising space, I imagine that would play into this company's business as well. So that would definitely be something to think about. Maybe their revenue will go down. Gross margin of 95%. <laughs> Gotta love that. Hold on. We got to zoom in. I got to make sure I'm seeing this right. <laughs> but, but, but on, but on your reading glasses, man, come on. Uh, I, I was thinking you look to tangible book value on the rise, revenues going up. Uh, so on the surface, some good, good signals at least. Wow. Growth score of 5.0. Revenue increasing. Gross profit increasing. Operating income increasing. Net income increasing. Operating cash flow increasing. Free cash flow increasing. Book value. Tangible book value. All really good. Those are really, really good metrics. Okay, financial health though. Take a look at this. Current ratio is good. The company is debt-free. Really good. We love that. Love that. We we love that. It's hard to, hard. As, as Peter Lynch says, it's hard to go bankrupt if you have no debt. <laughs> so good thing. Bad thing here though. Shares have increased by 27% over the past year. This is interesting to me. So if the company is profitable, as we can see here, making a lot of money and growing a lot. Why did the shares increase by 27% over the past year? Maybe if anyone knows in the chat, like there could have been, we've seen sometimes with mergers and stuff that yeah. have an effect where it could be an edge case. It could be an acquisition, but typically if you see an acquisition, then you also see like, you'll see like a random really large spike in revenue. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent right now, but I'll show you guys. This Trulieve did an acquisition last year and you can see that when they did their acquisition the revenue just like spiked 50 percent in a quarter so you can kind of see it in the revenue like that so if we go back to perry um we don't really see like well maybe right here we see a spike but it's not like a sustained spike so i'm going to guess it's not an acquisition that they did so they probably if i had to imagine they probably just raised money and it looks like it looks like they kind of just diluted to raise money and they haven't really spent that money. Their cash position is still growing. So maybe they just really wanted to cash up. I wonder if we look at the price of their stock based on their fundamentals. Like if we did like a price to free cash flow or even like price to operating or something. If yeah, they would even go up and maybe they did something like AMC where to requote you from before. It is actually a pretty good management decision sometimes to do share dilution if your stock price is up so much where, you know, there's good positive unit economics where you can spend that money to make more shareholder value. Yeah, so... Exactly. Like if you're, if I were the, if I were the CFO of a public company and my stock ran to levels where I personally thought it was overvalued, I would honestly, I would dilute some shares. I would sell some shares because the money's there. People are excited about your stock. And 
even if you don't need the money, if your stock is very hyped up or expensive, I actually do think it could it, it can be a good thing to just dilute some money and raise up some cash and just like secure your balance sheet. And that could be what this company did because right here we can see their price to free cash flow got to like 33 in 2021, 20, which, you know, I mean, their price to free cash flow was like four. So their stock ran massively. So maybe they did dilute. Yeah. Um, so financials are decent. I'd say one, one thing I'd urge people to do if you were thinking about investing in this company is two things after this. One, look into who's running it. Who's the CEO? Who's the CFO? What's their track record? Do you trust these people running the business? And then two, I'd be curious about this company's moat where I, I get they're doing well now, but how defensible is their business model? And are there other competitors that people should be worried about here? Uh, those were, I, we won't have time to get into all that, but before making an investment, that's what I would also want to learn here because financials is a good start, but you know, it's a, a one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Their margins kind of, <clears throat> their margins kind of look like they're all over the place too. Like their operating cash flow margin, for example, was 2% in 2016. Now it's at about 17%. So I would want to know why are their margins like this? Why are they kind of all over the place? I mean, revenue. Also, I would want to know what happened here. Like why was revenue high in 2014, then dropped, then was like stagnant? Like what happened here in 2020 where their revenue just started going up? Like, why is this? Is that sustainable? Is that going to continue? Another thing you can do to find out if a company has a moat is take a look at their ROIC. So Warren Buffett says, if a company has a moat, then um, they should be able to reinvest money back into the business over the long term at high returns. So right here, I mean, this company over the past seven years has had an average ROIC of 93%. That's ridiculous. Wow. That is like actually ridiculous. Holy. That, that is that is ridiculous. I, I agree. That's very, very high. <laughs> that's, that's incredibly high. So, I mean, this company honestly looks really interesting fundamentally. I would just want to know, like, what happened historically with this business? Is this something right now where, you know, they benefited from so much money in the economy? Um, has this happened before in the past? And like, is this level of fundamental growth and everything, like, is this sustainable? Right now, it looks like the market is also questioning that with a only nine price to free cash flow. So I would also question that and I would really try to try to figure that out. Yeah, that was, that was a fun one. Um, we're coming up on an hour here. Uh, so I, I wonder if we want to do one more or how are you feeling, Daniel? I mean, man, I could talk about stocks all day, but my girlfriend, my girlfriend would not like that. <laughs> I would like that though. Are you trying to say you're prioritizing your girlfriend over me? <sighs> unfortunately, not unfortunately. I should not say unfortunately. My girlfriend is my priority in life. That's of course a joke question. I, I fully respect yeah. that and uh, agree with your decision uh, begrudgingly. Yeah. I love you too, but in a different way than your girlfriend loves you for the, for, for the best. Thank you for clarifying that, by the way. <laughs> Here you are, and they're all worried that I'm going to drop an "I love you" or something on the live stream. But hey, I don't judge, man. Don't worry, I don't judge. I'm just, I would, I would just have to, you know. If my feelings changed, like I, I'd let you know. I mean, I'm very open about it. But uh, yeah, sorry to disappoint. Okay, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> please, please move on. Okay, JNR here is asking no ADP analysis. So until now, until now, my friend, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. ADP, automatic data processing. Okay. 93 uh, billion. You gross share, share your screen again? I'm not sharing my screen. Sorry, everyone. It's all good. That's uh, We got each other's backs here. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. Yeah, li live stream. Okay. ADP, automatic data processing. This is a very large company, $94 billion market cap. Um, Whoa. Holy gains. Holy gains. Okay. So this talk... <laughs> 
is massively outperforming the S&P 500 or the SPY ETF over the past 22 years, over the past decade outperforming, over the past five years outperforming. So it looks like this stock has consistently outperformed the S&P 500, pays a dividend, it's massive. Um, what do they do? Automatic data processing, engages in the provision of business outsourcing solutions, specializing in cloud-based human capital management. So I actually don't really understand what I just read. <laughs> I don't want to confuse it, but I'm pretty sure ADP, I thought it was like an internet security company, or at least I've like had some of their software products before. I'm, you know, I'll look that up quick. I want to make sure I'm not confused. Oh, they've been around forever too. They IPO'd in 1961. So they've been on the market for 61 years. Can we go to their dividend, uh, our dividend tab? I'm curious uh, if this is like a dividend aristocrat stock. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a look. Uh, uh, thank you, JNR. They sell payroll and, okay, so... It's not the same company I was thinking of. They sell payroll and UR services. Okay. So yeah, it looks like they started paying a dividend, sorry, dividend per share um, back here in 2003. It's been growing really well. Historical yield on cost. If you bought the stock in 2003, you'd have a 21% dividend yield on cost right now. If you take a look at the total returns, by the way, this is a new um, feature that we just added in Stock Unlock. If a company pays a dividend, we added in the total returns, which shows you how much the stock would have returned to you, including its dividend payments throughout history. So not just the stock price, but including the dividends, how much has the stock actually returned? And we can see that including dividends over the past, let's do the past decade. Over the past decade, including dividends, it's returned 434% versus just the stock's 377%. So, I mean, this thing has been very good to shareholders, man. Very, very, very good. Let's take a look at uh -huh. Insight. I'm feeling a little silly because I realized the reason why I know this company is because I interviewed and got a job offer from them in 2015. Uh, I ended up going with a different company, but um, yeah, he ended up going with Stock and Law. Just uh, taking in one or two messages from the chat. Uh, JNR Epsos, uh, thank you for correction on the UR to HR. I thought that was user resources, but human resources HR makes more sense to me. And 77 Magic Bus, thank you for being here again. I think we've seen you in the chat before. Great comment here. Not everyone is 25 years old and can wait 40 years for the market to go up. Um, yep. It's my 30th birthday tomorrow, but I'm in my 20s still. Uh, you are <laughs> right, though. Um, you know, everyone's in a different situation, both in their life and financially. And a lot of what we're talking about is very long term. Um, so that's a good thing for us to keep in mind, Daniel, especially since not everyone in our audience is uh, in their 20s. So there are different angles on this too. You know, if you don't have decades to invest, it might be a scary time to put your money into the market, right? But if you got a long, long term ahead of you, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I agree totally. Right. I mean, if you're about to retire and you're wanting to live off your portfolio, then like, it's probably pretty scary right now. The, the thing is, is like, I am not in that situation. So it's very hard for me to, to just like put myself in, in those shoes. I don't know what that's like. Um, and all I can talk about is basically my own personal experience. So, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> sorry. I think a good piece of advice here, just pulling it from the intelligent investor is, you know, our opinions on this and we're not financial advisors is if you don't have at least three, ideally five plus years to have your money in the market, the stock market historically may not be the best place mathematically for you to put your money since markets go up and down, right? So we could be in a recession for years. So really looking yeah. at investing horizon and if it's less than five years you know be be careful because you can't really predict markets too well in the short term yeah i think the intelligent investor i would have to back this up but going off memory i think it says the older you get 
the more they recommend having your money in bonds because you know like it's a risk-free investment essentially and bond yields are going up right now so as people get older i believe the book does say like you should consider having more of your your wealth in bonds because they're they're just a lot more consistent and uh, a guaranteed return now i've been looking at um this company right here adp over while we've been talking um what i've been noticing is like the revenue kind of goes through these cycles where it looks like it grows, it goes down, it grows, goes down, grows. Overall though, the overall trend of this business is up. What is interesting is right now their operating cash flow is kind of topping out. It's been topped out for about a year, it looks like, at the same time as the revenue has been growing. So revenue is going up, cash flow is not growing, which means their operating cash flow margin is declining. So less of revenue is becoming profits. I would want to know why this is. I, I have a few thoughts thoughts here. Um, so I, I've worked in a couple corporations and obviously you need HR management solutions. And here's the thing that scares me a bit as a long-term investor in these businesses. ADP has done great. They've been a leader for a long time. But as technology advances, as cloud services get big, computer programming languages get easier and easier to use, the cost to implement big services like this goes down. And I would be concerned over this company's moat and their ability to compete with all these very quick running startups. I mean, we were in Y Combinator, which is an accelerator, and there's a lot of smart people building very good products like this at a fraction of the cost. So as technology advances, are they going to be able to have this stranglehold they had the last few decades? My opinion is likely not. That's just my own thoughts. But that would be my main concern, honestly, with this business is their product and moat moving forward. Yeah, um, right now, the business is also selling for a price to free cash flow of 37, um, 37.2. Over the past decade, their average price to free cash flow has been 28. So in terms of how this business has been valued historically, it does look like it is selling for a premium right now. Let's take a look at the operating cash flow. Price to operating cash flow is 30.5. Average has been 23. So the market is valuing the stock higher right now. Also, um, take a look at the revenue and the operating cash flow in the same chart. What we should see is revenue going up and operating cash flow staying down. And this is because the company, even though the revenue is increasing, the the profits aren't really increasing, which is causing that um the price ratios to go up as well. So I would want to know, if I were looking at this business more seriously, I would want to know why their margins are not growing. Why isn't operating cash flow growing with the um the revenue? And I would really want to know that answer. Because this is actually the same thing that's happening to Salesforce, CRM. You can see their revenue is going up, but operating cash flow has just been not able to grow. And I mean, my opinion is in investing, profits and cash flow is all that matters. I mean, this company could grow its revenue to the moon. It could go to $100 billion in revenue. But if cash flow doesn't grow, then in my opinion, the value of the business doesn't actually grow. So I would want to know, just like with CRM, why is this number not growing? And trying to figure that out. Agreed. All right. <laughs> Like you said, I feel like we could do this all day. Uh, I was looking at the time and uh, maybe now is a good time to wrap up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you everyone for being with us today. We go live every Saturday. Uh, we are two out of the three co-founders of Soft and Lock. Hit that bell icon if you want to get notified when we go live. And these will be posted as recordings to our YouTube, uh, Stock and Lock YouTube after. Uh, Daniel, I don't know if you have any, uh, any last words you want to share with the audience, but I want to say thank you everyone so much for being here. We really appreciate all this. Yeah, thank you everyone for being here. Um, as I said, I could do this all day, but my girlfriend's going to be home soon and I got to get out of here. Also, I am sorry if I got a little bit distracted in the last minute or so. My cat, Tuna, 
decided that he needed some love. So, uh-huh. yeah, here he is. He's purring right now. <laughs> let's end. Let's end every stream with tuna. <laughs> I would have to go find him, but yeah, he just like hopped on my lap and was like, "Bro, I need some attention." Um, but yeah, I hope I hope this live stream was great. I think we talked about a lot. And um, again, just thank you everyone so much for tuning in. We also have a newsletter that we send out now every single Friday. So if you guys would like the to, to come and join our newsletter, then go and sign up at stockunlock.com. It's totally free. Last week, we talked about basically everything going on in the market right now with the S&P 500 dropping. Um, it's just a great newsletter, honestly. It's fun to write. We enjoy it. But yeah, I think that's everything. We also just released like a ton of features. Like that feature email we sent out was insane, man. <laughs> my, my, my takeaway from all of that is my name's Daniel Pronk and I write this newsletter and I think it's great. I agree. <laughs> I might be biased. <laughs> okay, well, yes. Uh, check us out. And again, thank you so much, you all. Yeah, thank you everyone so much for tuning in. We will be alive next Saturday and I'll be making videos throughout the week. So if you guys want me to take a look at some stocks, um, just comment on our YouTube channel because the videos that I make on our YouTube channel a lot of the time are from your guys' comments and just like taking a look at the stocks you guys want me to take a look at. So tune into the YouTube channel, uh, leave us some comments and we can do videos on your stocks as well. But yeah, I'll stop talking. <laughs> thank you everyone so much for watching. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, now I always have to learn. I'll, I'll click the end button. Okay, thank you. <laughs>